PayPal is very interested in being involved in the open source scene. And so with just a little bit of extra work could be a useful open source project for other people. I spend a lot of time making much of what I do open and public. React and Facebook's entire like open source libraries all switching to MIT. It's just kind of funny to me. All of a sudden, all these developers become lawyers. Like that was so stupid to me. Only read blog posts from people who are actually lawyers, though. Developers think that they know something about like complicated patent law, and it's just so dumb. Hey, this is Brian, and you're listening to Jamstack Radio, a bi-weekly series where we discuss the Jamstack, a new way of building websites and apps that are fast, secure, and simple to work with. Jamstack Radio is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. Coming through at me live uh, through Zencaster is Kent C. Dodds. Kent, you want to say hi? Hi there. Thanks for having me on. Cool. It's a, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, I know it might have been months ago you had tweeted out a tweet of one of the podcasts that I tweeted out. And I was like, man, I should have Kent on. And uh, now, now it's real, real life. Yeah, bringing it to pass. Yeah. Twitter, that's where, where amazing things start, of course. Yeah, it's good things and bad things on Twitter. But that's besides <laughs> yeah. the fact. Um, so Kent, yeah. who are you and why are you here today? Basically, what, what's your day job? So uh, I work at PayPal. I do a lot of JavaScript stuff and I'm involved on the TC39. I'm an instructor on Egghead and Frontend Masters. I'm a Google developer expert. Uh, I do a lot of open source stuff. I totally love Netlify. Um, the Jamstack totally is awesome. So yeah, maybe those are a couple of reasons why I'm on here today, I guess. <laughs> Cool. That's a that's quite the list of things, and uh, part of the reason why I wanted you to come on because I know I know you do JavaScript and you do stuff at PayPal, and you mentioned TC39. I know you have a family outside of work too. That's uh, something that's developed uh, even before your career. But um, mm -hmm. so, how do you balance like all of that into that whole paragraph that you just listed? Yeah, uh, that's a question that I get a lot. I even had uh, somebody interview me for a blog post, and I I can give you a link to that because yeah, I do a lot of open source and I do a lot of um, involvement in the community and, and uh, teaching and stuff. First off, I just want to say that I am in a really like privileged position uh, because I like I don't have to worry about a, a lot of things at work. I, I I just have been really lucky that way, I guess. And so I can focus on doing pretty much lots of the things that people uh, know me for, even while at work. So. Lots of the open source stuff that I do is going to be relevant to uh, to work, and uh, and so I can do it during work hours. And I even will teach uh, my coworkers at PayPal um, about different technologies and things. And so I um, will spend some of my work hours developing that that instruction content as well, um, preparing to to teach my coworkers. And I think like a lot of people do this stuff um, already. Like you code for your job and you you teach your coworkers. you like have a workshop or, or you give a, a talk for your coworkers or something for like a, a lunch and learn or whatever um, i think the what what makes it seem like i do so much more is because i spend a lot of time making as much of that uh, as much of what i do open and uh, public when i give a workshop to my coworkers, or if i give a talk or something i'm going to record my screen and i'm going to put it up on youtube if i've got a, a project to work on at work paypal is very interested in being involved in the open source scene and so 
Um, it's pretty easy for me to kind of finagle my way into a like a situation where like the solution that I'm building here with just a little bit of extra work could be a useful open source project for other people. So I'm going to just put that extra work in to, to make it open source. And now all of a sudden you, you see that like many hours of work that PayPal has paid for and you see that and you think, oh my goodness, he has a full-time job in addition to this. No, it's not really that. It's just um, I'm able to do, I guess, combine that effort in, into one. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I do a lot of stuff. I have four kids, uh, just had my fourth a couple weeks ago. Congratulations. And, and, and I'm married and I like have church responsibilities and stuff. So I am a very, very busy person and I, and I do a lot of stuff, but so, like take it all with a grain of salt because uh, some of it I can kind of um, work into my day job and, and, and like it's it, that doesn't just naturally happen. It's not like my, my boss is begging me to, to take all my work and open source it. Like I do have to put effort into um, making that happen. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that people can do that. Um, and I think that people should try. Um, so anyway, if you're looking for takeaways, I guess that's one. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it really, uh, it reminds me of the, the talk that Max Stoiber did at React Rally about contributing to open source. And right at the beginning, he um, kind of just like, pulled up the curtain about like all his open source contributions and showed his graph and said like, see all those green dots? Well, that's when I was working full time in open source and that's why I had so much time to do it. And uh, I guess I guess the moral of the story is like, if you wanna do open source, see if your work will not quote uh, like sponsor you, but actually appreciate the efforts in actually making things open source. I know not everybody's in that position, but uh, that might be some sort of aspiration someone might wanna to get to. Yeah, and, and I think that like people, when they face a hurdle in an open source project that they're using, like let's, we'll take like, I don't know, uh, Redux, for example, I, I don't know, just random library, X library. If you face a hurdle, I think lots of people just try to find a workaround immediately. They're like, how can I work around this? But I, I think a better way to approach that is like, it's part of your job and, and this library, like presumably you're using it because you don't want to have to write that and maintain that code all by yourself. And so it's going to save you a lot of time. Well, if it really is providing you that value, then it should be a pretty easy conversation to go to your boss and say, hey, listen, we've got this problem with this library. I could work around it. And that like that is a potential thing. Or I could go and improve the library in some way. And then we don't have to have that maintenance cost of this weird workaround. And so, yeah, I think even not just creating, like turning the stuff you're working on and creating new open source projects, but also contributing back um, so that like not only uh, do you have to do this workaround, but like other people probably have to. And so if you can contribute back, then you don't need to worry about the workaround at all. Um, just asking. Uh, lots of people don't even ask their their boss if they can um, work on open source. One, one trick that I have in addition to asking is not asking. <laughs> and I just figure that it's, it's part of my job to deliver a good, you know, a, a good end result. And if that requires that I give some of my code, um, you know, or like some of the time, my work time to this open source project, then that's just like part of the job. Um, I realize that some companies do protect their, you know, intellectual property and, and like every, finger typed um, on their keyboard is is going to be um, like their intellectual property. And so you want to like double check. But I've been uh, in a pretty good position and I 
I think that more and more companies are, are getting more comfortable with their employees contributing to open source. So if you haven't asked, ask. And if they say no, then shucks. Uh, you could always follow the advice from soft skills engineering and quit your job. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, anyway, that's just a bunch of words. Sometimes I can ramble so you can interrupt me if I do that. <laughs> it's good insight because I think a lot of people are like, are in the position where they don't know like what's the first step or how would I even like convince and I think um, one of my first engineering managers are one of the, my earlier engineering managers was do first and ask for forgiveness later so if you <laughs> have to use a third-party library or if you need to do some open source work to make sure um, this is going to pass code review go ahead and do it and if if your time was used incorrectly uh, you can always apologize later but I think mm -hmm. if you're if you're able to solve the problem, I don't think many people, unless you do have like some sort of licensing issue, uh, most companies mm -hmm. or managers aren't going to say, "Oh no, throw out that code." I don't think you should have done that. And they're going to say, mm -hmm. "Wow, that works. Let's let's ship it." Yeah, totally. Yeah. Speaking of licensing, uh, were you guys affected at all with the whole React uh, license with the recent change? Is that better for you? Uh, th th that whole licensing thing is just kind of funny to me. All of a sudden, all these developers become lawyers and, and know exactly <laughs> what this patent thing is. Like, that was so stupid to me. So, um, yeah, PayPal uses React. Apple uses React. Google internally uses React. Like, all of these huge companies with, like, amazingly intelligent lawyers are using React, and I guess it's okay but then these like little startups are like, oh, freak, we can't use React because the patents thing. I, I think most of the fear and uncertainty and doubt that was being spread throughout the community was from people who don't use React and were just looking for an opportunity to like slime ball it. Yeah. And so like that was just super frustrating. I'm glad that it's MIT now just because it's easier to like just, you know, the patents thing, who cares? Like whatever, it's it's done, whatever. I like I really didn't care one way or another personally. There there's a blog post called um why the React license is a paper tiger or something like that from an an actual lawyer who is like yeah, this isn't ever going to be a problem for anybody. And then I think that same guy, uh, he's now a, a developer, software developer. His name is Dennis Walsh. After React moved to MIT, he posted an, a new blog post. I haven't gotten a chance to look at it yet, but the, the general vibe is, well, now things are actually a little bit worse because if Facebook does have pieces of React patented, then they can sue you immediately <laughs> rather than waiting until you sue them. So. Um, I think some people have um, gone through Facebook's patents and discovered that there's nothing in React that's actually patented. So um, nobody should worry about using React. Um, I think it's the whole thing is just kind of stupid and uh, people should move on and, and come up with more uh, useful and helpful um, reasons to use something else. Good luck to them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a... Uh... I'm glad that that whole movement's passed. And I guess the, the zoom out for the listener too as well, our React and Facebook's entire like open source libraries all switching to MIT from their, I guess, whatever the BSD, whatever that stands for, licensing. Mm. Um, so if you are interested in that, there's, as Kent mentioned, there's, there's a lot of blog posts you can catch up on that um, or tweet storms. Only, only read blog posts from people who are actually lawyers though. Like there are, there are way too many blog posts from these developers who think that they know something about like complicated patent law and it's just so dumb. So it, like if the first couple lines don't say something like I am a patent attorney, then I, I stop reading because it's, it's just going to be somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about. A lot of people who think they know a lot of, about certain things, uh, but mainly because they read blog posts from other people who are not 
attorneys. But anyway, moving on, I wanted to talk more a little bit about your your role at PayPal. So there's a couple libraries I've noticed that you've, you've open source uh, since being there, but I know you've done a lot more outside of this, those two libraries. So can you talk about like Downshift and Glamorous? How did you get to the point where you needed to know you needed to make these libraries? And then how did you get to the point where you finally decided this should be open sourced? Yeah, cool. Good questions. Um, so Glamorous came first. That was back in April is when I released that, 2017. I actually have a talk where I kind of give the the history. Um, you can find that kentsydodds.com slash talks. Um, but I was given a task to make our landing page more flexible. And so the, the landing page I'm talking about is the send money uh, landing page. So if you go to paypal.com, log in and click on send and request money, that's the landing page I'm talking about. Uh, it's, we, we call it the funnel page. And it's highly experimental because you can do tons of things. Um, you can send money, you can request money, you can send money internationally, and you can um, like send a gift, and you can do all kinds of different things on, on that page. And so because that is such like a, a critical page, it's really experimental. Like we'll show like these links or we'll show uh, this description above the title, like everything about that page is really exper experimental. And so every time we added an, a new permutation to this experimentation, it just added so much more complexity to that page. And one of the biggest problems um, when I came to add another piece of dynamic uh, capabilities to that page, that one of the biggest problems I had was with the CSS because I, I didn't know whether I should duplicate some CSS or like amend uh, to some existing CSS because there were so many different permutations that were using this CSS that it was really difficult for me to know what impact my change was going to make on the rest of the pages um, or uh, the rest of the permutations of, of that page. And so that was like a real frustration. It took me like two weeks just to add like an, another link uh, based off of another experiment. And so then they came to me again and they say, hey, we need to add another thing. And I said, listen, it's going to take like two weeks again to do this. Like I, I didn't learn it. And now I know everything about that page. Like nobody knows anything about that page. It's really complicated. So and they said, OK, that's we don't want that. We're going to keep coming to you with these things. So let's let's like sharpen the saw a little bit. We'll we'll revamp that page to make it more flexible. And so as part of that process of making it more flexible, uh, one of the biggest uh, problems I wanted to solve was the CSS. And this is around the time that uh, styled components was really uh, popular and. Uh, so I decided to just try it out for uh, the first time, and I loved it. I was, uh, I just thought it was the coolest idea to be able to make uh, components that carry their styles with them, and they compose together just so nicely. We were using Aphrodite in part of the app, and so I was thinking, oh, like CSS and JS is the bomb. I love it, and so styled components was just a really nice. It, it was, it was basically like the coolness of Aphrodite, but like coupled with React because you can make components out of these styles. To to make a long story a little shorter, because I, I do tend to ramble. I like styled components, but I had a couple problems with it. I, I wasn't huge on the string syntax. I know that it's like normal CSS. A lot of people think that's like the killer feature of styled components, but I actually like the object syntax better. And then the other, one of the other biggest like showstoppers for me was um, the size. At the time, uh, styled components was still shipping post CSS to the browser. And so it made it like 72 kilobytes or something. It was huge. Uh, it was also very slow because I had to parse all of that in JavaScript to, to create the CSS it would inject. So it would uh, like apply auto prefixing. Lots of these problems have been solved. But one problem, as far as I know, that has not yet been solved 
is the ability to do right to left conversion it, like automatically in uh, for the CSS. So for uh, apps like PayPal, where we need to support all kinds of languages, lots of these languages are right to left languages like Hebrew or something. And that makes it difficult with CSS because sometimes you'll add a margin to the left um, because it makes it look nicer with the way that everything else is styled. But if it's reading right to left, that looks funny. So um, there are tools to, to automatically change it so it'd be margin right instead. Um, and so I'd already built a converter for uh, JavaScript objects that represented CSS. Uh, it's called RTL CSSJS um, that I was using for Aphrodite. And so I wanted to be able to do something like that with styled components. And, and that would have just added even more performance problems and, and weight um, to do something like that with styled components with strings. That's when I decided to, to kind of build my own thing. Um, and by this time, to me, this was clearly something that was generic and, and useful enough. So I, I kind of built the initial thing in, in a single file in, in my uh, project, um, all the while knowing that I was going to open source this eventually. Um, and, and once I had something that was working, um, then I, I just put it into an open source project and, and published it. So that's the story of Glamorous. Yeah, it's, it's nice to hear the, the background, because I don't know, I'm sure you wrote a blog post about that, but I don't think I caught up on that. Um, but it's good to hear like that you actually had a, a concrete problem to approach in like sort of like a nuanced way. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of style components. I don't have any sort of limitations uh, because mainly I'm using on a greenfield apps. Netlify itself, it's not it's not as old as uh, PayPal, so we don't have tons of legacy things that we have to bring along. But yeah, it's good to note. And uh, I still have it on my list to check out Glamorous, hopefully for a future project. So I assume the Downshift uh, was a similar story. Um, no, it was it was still actually the same project, uh, just a different a different thing I needed to do. So like send money flow for uh, at PayPal, we actually had three implementations of an autocomplete component that were like committed to our repository. We weren't using a third party thing because we just had so many. Like we we would start with a third party thing, then we'd had to fork it to account for our use cases a little better. Um, which was really annoying. And, and so having three implementations was, was frustrating. And then we needed to take one of our autocomplete um, components and move it over to this other place. And it was kind of coupled in the, pla the place that it was. So I'd have to make another um, implementation. So I was like, okay, I'm done with copy pasting all this autocomplete code. And so that's, that's kind of where downshift came from. It was just this idea of um, I need to make a component that takes care of all of the common logic that all of these um, autocomplete components need, um, but allows me to uh, render it however I want because they're all going to render a little uh, slightly differently. And so it, I was also inspired by Ryan Florence's talk called Compound Components, and it's just fantastic. And uh, I, I definitely recommend go go search on YouTube for that. Yeah, the idea there is fantastic. Uh, Downshift, I actually live streamed the whole experience of me building Downshift because I knew from day like right at the start that this was going to be open source. Um, and so you can you can watch me build it, but I started with uh, compound components using context to communicate between components, and then Jared Forsyth, uh, we just randomly met in the San Jose airport, um, <laughs> wow. and he was like, "Hey, what if you did this, getting the props that you need to from a function as child or something like that, a render prop?" Uh, and that that kind of got me me thinking a little bit, and and it, it was what was cool about that was it totally liberated uh, the rendering. And so Downshift doesn't actually render anything at all for you. You render everything and Downshift just gives you the things that you need to hook things up together in a way that's nice. So Downshift is by far the most flexible autocomplete solution, as far as I know, of any framework or frameworkless uh, implementation. 
Um, it's also uh, one of the smallest. I was actually just looking at a couple of vanilla JS solutions. Um, it is definitely the most capable and uh, smallest autocomplete implementation uh, or, or component out there. Even if you were to use Preact with it and bundle Preact with Downshift, it'll still be smaller than most of the autocomplete solutions that are out there. And it's and it's more capable. So I'm pretty excited about Downshift and it, it was a really fun thing to build. And, and I think that it kind of got people more excited about this render prop idea where you kind of hand rendering responsibility over to the user, uh, which I think is a good thing too. Yeah, I um I did the advanced React training course about a year ago, and they had towards the like second half of the, half of that course. Uh, they probably maybe reorganized that course now, but they had started talking about this new thing of rendering props. Yeah, I really like the the approach, and I really like that it's more of a I guess technically a more declarative way of approaching your creating your React components. But yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Yep. I need to definitely check that out. Yeah, definitely. It's it's very cool. I, I'm excited that more and more people are doing it because yeah, it's just such a powerful way to like you you bundle up the logic because that's the that's the hard part that's um, more generic, um, and then you leave the rendering over to the user, which is the less generic part and the easy part um, yeah. of of building components. Uh, so I I think it'll make everybody more productive if more people are doing stuff like this. Cool. And you, you sort of mentioned in passing at the San Jose airport, you met Jared Forsyth. Yeah, uh, Jared Forsyth is, is um, he works at Khan Academy. He kind of helped with Aphrodite. He's doing a lot of Reason oh, stuff gotcha. now. Oh, yeah, um, the Reason so. guy. Gotcha. Yep. We didn't really touch on the TC39 thing, being part of that committee. You've been on the committee for a while, at least a year now, right? Is that correct? Yeah, almost a year. I started November last year. And how did that come about? Like, was it someone saw your your talk and they approached you to join the join the club? Yeah, good question. So the way that TC39 membership works is that individuals are not members. Uh, companies are members of the TC39. Gotcha. And then the company, um, and, and to become a member, you pay a certain amount of money based off of the size of your company. Uh, so PayPal is, is uh, just to give you an idea, PayPal is the, the biggest size. Um, and, and so they, they pay the, the most amount that anybody would. And, and we've got companies like Microsoft and Apple and, and Google and Facebook and Netflix and a bunch of companies you've heard of and, and then many you haven't heard of but are also very interested in the direction of the language. The companies will uh, pay a bunch of money to become member and then they can send delegates if they want to and most do. Uh, send delegates, whoever they choose, how many ever they choose, um, to attend the meetings, which are once every other month at the end of the month. The meetings are three days um, of just grueling all-day meetings, so that's a lot of fun. Um, there's actually meetings going on right now, but um, because I just had a baby, I uh, thought it would be a good idea for me to stick around and yeah. uh, not leave my wife with four children. I uh, agree. One of them, <laughs> two weeks old, so... So, uh, yeah, but uh, how I got on, I was just minding my own business working at PayPal. And I, I, I get kind of involved in, in the direction of the language. I, I follow the proposals and, and stuff and, and talk about where things are going. Um, I'm not really, I'm not at all a language designer. I don't even have a CS degree. And so, yeah, that's, that's not really my thing. I just like using the language. What did you go to school for? Uh, I, I actually got a master's degree in information systems okay. um, at BYU a couple of years ago. So, yeah, it's it's related field, but not really like I didn't learn about data structures and algorithms and stuff 
like we were it was much more like practical application yeah um, they had the same the same uh course at my my college so it's like mainly Mm. like running servers and doing sql and microsoft stuff yeah 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 so yeah i i was just uh one day got a a message from my boss's boss and he said hey our current delegate is kind of thinking they want to they want to phase out so would would you be interested in in taking over and as the delegate for paypal i know that you do a lot of this community uh, related stuff anyway and and you kind of stay on top of the proposals and stuff somebody recommended me to you or whatever and so i said yeah sure that would be super awesome i am like totally the wrong person to send to these meetings i don't know what i'm talking about but um that would be awesome so yeah they they started sending me i went to the first meeting it was at facebook and i was like oh, people are amazing i have no business being here and uh, my brain was hurting um in like just an hour so, uh yeah it's it's a really cool experience and i i've done a little bit to contribute i i hosted the tc39 at paypal so that was useful i guess um but yeah there's definitely a, a fair amount of of imposter syndrome um, type feelings um in that in that group yeah but at least you're in a you're in a good opportunity to to grow and learn from, even though you don't understand it. Like, that's my whole approach to my my career is like, get me to the place where people know more than I do so I can continue mm-hmm. to ask questions all the time. Yep. Cool. That's awesome. I do want to do some picks, so I'm going to transition this over. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about your open source work and your role at mm-hmm. PayPal, but also mentioning that TC39 thing because I think a lot of people are, are interested in that. But picks, jam picks. So I think you're already kind of aware of how these work. So these are like things that you are jamming on. So it's food, music, code, um, asterisks. So it's anything. And uh, since you already have your your picks already laid out, do you want to go ahead and go first? Yeah, sure. So um, I think when you started the podcast, this is supposed to be what you're jamming on. So like what music do you listen to in your code, which I think is cool. So I, I listen to uh, it, it really kind of depends on the day, but I, I like to listen to the piano guys. Um, and, and like, I just turn on Google music radio for piano guys and it's, it's really cool, cool stuff. If you haven't heard them, uh, check them out. It brings up like Lindsey Sterling and Peter Hollins and, and other, uh, cool folks like that. Cool. So yeah, that's cool. I also listen to Owl City radio station too. I think Owl City is pretty cool. And, uh, and then just like various other, other stuff. And then as far as like other cool things in the world. So I wrote a blog post as a guest on the Babel blog a couple of weeks ago called zero config with Babel macros oh, yeah. and definitely read that uh, one Babel macros is this cool thing that Sunil Pai who created glamour just this amazing awesome smart person came up with and I implemented and I, I think that people should uh, learn about it and and start using it we're hoping to get create react app uh, to adopt it so if if you know Dan uh, just tweet at him incessantly like let's get this into the create react app so Babel macros check that out and then there's this awesome sticker that Tyler McGinnis made uh, a while back called left pad and it's just like this sticker like you just put it on your laptop it just says no version found left pad at 0.0.3 um, and if you if you're not in on the joke, just like Google left pad um, and you'll you'll see what that's all about. And then I also started a newsletter right now. It's just been once a week for the last three weeks. I've, I've just sent out stuff I'm working on and, and things that I've learned and, and how I've solved problems. Uh, so you can find that at kcd.im slash news. Those are my jam picks. Cool. Yeah. So I want to add to your picks and mention your AMA that you can go to but github.com slash Ken C. Dodd slash AMA. Yeah, yeah, I totally am still going on that. I've, I've got over 100 or 300 questions on there now, I think. Yeah, it's like the one of the most successful GitHub AMAs I've... Well, you're the, 
you're the first I heard of to actually do that. And uh, so it's the most successful I've known of uh, since I, I, I stumbled onto yours. Uh, so I highly recommend mm. listeners to check that out if you've got questions about Ken or this general uh, JavaScript questions as well. I also have a pick. I'm going to pick the show Narcos on Netflix. So I've exclusively only been watching the show when I travel because Netflix has this cool feature where you can do offline. Uh, you can save the episodes or movies offline. So I've been watching mm. it only on airplanes and uh, mainly because there's a lot of gunshots. And uh, since I have kid, I have a kid. I can't watch it during the day and I can't watch it at night because my wife will wake up. So I've been watching it on the airplane. And uh, yeah, it's been a great experiment because I've gotten through season two and then just recently season three has come out. So I don't travel again till November is my next travel schedule. So I might get two episodes mm-hmm. in there and back. Actually, maybe a couple more. So looking forward to that. I also like that show because it's um, half of it's in Spanish. And I've I've known Spanish. I actually used to be fluent as a kid. Uh, my mom's side of the family is from Cuba. And uh, I just did not, I grew up speaking English, so my Spanish is really bad. And uh, since I listened, I've been watching that show, my Spanish is actually getting better. So I think I'm going to watch it again with full, because you can do Netflix, you can change the audio track to Spanish. So I think I'm going to watch it with Spanish with English subtitles and see how good that goes for me. So Kent, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate you you unraveling your, your experiences with us and uh, uh, kind of sharing a bit of the magic of how Kenzie Dodds operates. So pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Cool. And listeners keep spreading the jam. That's all the time we have for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library. It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders. 